Welcome everybody to episode 57 of the Football United, the Soccer City podcast. I'd like to sincerely thank all the interviewees, listeners and the soccer public of the Illawarra, Australia, the UAE, France and elsewhere around the world who download this podcast. Additionally, I'd like to say thank you to the great people who contribute, comment and reminisce on the social media pages. Pedge Bowich is our interviewee in episode 57. Born in 1984, Pedge started his junior career with Rurilla Wanderers Junior Soccer Club before moving on to the junior football representative scene with Illawarra, Wollongong Wolves and then the New South Wales Institute of Sport. When Pedge was a 15-year-old, he spent a month with Ipswich Town in the United Kingdom under the Big Brother Scholarship Program. His time here was successful and he was awarded a contract, but due to personal circumstances that would change his life, Pedge did not take up this contract. Overcoming many personal challenges over the next few years, Pedge created a successful professional football career here in Australia and in the United Kingdom. In addition to representing his country at a FIFA Under-17 World Cup in Trinidad and Tobago. Although my time with Pedge only covered a fraction of his career and the hurdles he faced, I came away admiring his spirit, positivity, honesty and determination when faced with issues of identity and insecurity. His journey has made him into a man who has a deep passion for the game and has the positive energy and willpower via his business to mentor and coach young footballers into well-rounded individuals equipped to face the challenges from football and life. It was an honour to spend an hour with Pedge. My sincere appreciation and respect go out to him for allowing me the time to interview him for this podcast. And my thanks go out to Michael DeGory for setting up this interview for me. I appreciate his support of the podcast. Please enjoy episode 57. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. And today I'm out in Unidera at a, a great venue for football and for mentoring and I'm here with a very, very special guest, Pedge Bowich. Pedge, let's start from the beginning. Where were you born and what were your first memories of football? Um, bo- born in, 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 in Sydney itself, but grew up in Wollongong. Yep. First memories of football was um, some friends that I had from primary school that were kicking this thing that I had no idea what it was and I went to my dad, I'm like, can I play this sport with these kids? So it wasn't anything to do with like family, history of football. Okay. It was purely just, I saw these guys kick a ball and said, can I join? Um, and joined at a local club, Arula Wanderers at the time. And before I knew it, um, a couple of years into it, I, I seemed to be a not bad player and, and went on to reps from there. That time at Arula uh, Wanderers, the, the junior club, um what were your first thoughts of the game once it became organised and you got on the field? Yeah, in the first year or so, I guess it was just probably a bit of a whirlwind where I didn't really know much about anything but playing on small fields, you know, um, 
I was, I guess I was more of a defender by accident because I think my dad didn't push me anywhere else and I just stayed yeah. at the back and I just happened to then tackle everyone. <laughs> um, then I guess once I realised when I came about 10 years old that I seemed to have developed more of a natural ability for it, um, I started to take more of an interest in the game because then reps came around like the year after and I actually got rejected the first year at Illawarra reps. Okay. Um, and I remember it was, I did trial the year above, I have to admit, um, and I remember the coach saying, you know, come back next year and blah, blah, blah. I was very upset, went home, cried. Yep. And I still remember when I came back the next year, at, it was at victory trials at, at, at their grounds. Um, I had this feeling, I knew I had to do something different. It was a pouring, rainy trial. Like, yep. And this long ball came, kick, was uh, sorry, cleared, and I just came through three, four plays, and I jumped in the end and had this ball literally almost looked like 20, 30 metres back, and the coach signed me based on that header. Wow. And he goes, you'll be captain of our team. Like, what you just did there in the rain with the head, I've never seen a young boy do. So, um, I guess I just was good from that point. I guess I have no brains, but I had the ball. <laughs> and do you think, um, and we'll get on to the rest of your story in bits and pieces and different mm. parts, but it even seems early on there that in your mind, your personality knew that you had to do something different, that you strategically analysed what had happened the year before and that mm. you had to do something different to get into the team. Yeah, it was. I, that was important. And I do remember always when I was at Rurilla, there was another player who was older than me who ended up becoming a good friend of mine, um, Michael Mangos, who used to have his hair tied back, look like a bull, we used to call him bull. And he used to do these juggles that I could never do. I still can't juggle. But he stood out and he's juggling, he had his pants rolled on, like, and he's like nine years old, I'm like, this kid looks like a cool player. And I still remember when I didn't make the first reps of Illawarra, one of my mates made it, and I went and watched them play against Sutherland up in, in, in Sutherland Sharks at Bates Drive. And one of the players for Illawarra at the time was Brandon Centerlab, and I didn't know who he was at the time. He took this shot from outside the box and put it top corner and the ball got stuck in the top of the net. I was like, wow, that's cool. Look how good he is. And so those kind of things made me realise like, you've got to do something to stand out. And uh, in terms of your family, there was no history of football in the family? No, nothing. I, don't, I still don't think anyone did. I mean, most of my family's in Serbia. I don't really know them quite well. Yep. Um, not that I'm aware that anyone went on to any, any kind of football career, but definitely not here. It was just purely by accident. Illawarra reps for a couple of years. Mm. Uh, how did you find it when you then stepped up to that level? Yeah, uh, I was captain for the for the Illawarra squads. Um, just, I've always had this natural confidence in myself to not think that I'm better than others, but I never believe that others are better either. I think we're all equal, and I think it comes down to just you know working hard and, and, and mindset's very important. Not that I'm, I kind of knew the formula of mindset when I was young. Yep. You went with instincts. Um, yeah, there was times when I didn't play well, but I was very, very solid at the back. Um, and I still remember I got called up to the age above the team that I didn't make the year before to go play in this competition in Bankstown. Um, semi-final, I come on the field, corner of the halfway line, roll back, I score top corner. We win, we go into the final. Then in the final, puts me up front, I come on, went through and scored them, and um, we win 2-0 against Southern District. So it was pretty, pretty cool feeling how almost a year difference, yep. you get rejected and the same coach then gives you a chance. chance. And by chance, I um, scored in both games and had a, you know, a great moment with uh, age above. Uh, after two years with the Illawarra uh, set up, you yeah. then transferred across to the Wolves. Yep. Is that right? And so was that, a, I guess, as an individual... Um, still a great feeling to be part of an NSL setup. 
even though you're in the junior part of the setup, but it was still a good thing to mentor. Yeah, yeah, because at that age too, we were ball boys for the old Bulls at Brendan Park there, which is um, I still think it was a cool stadium. With you know, maybe when you're young, you walk around thinking you're cool with the young lads, <laughs> but it's always nice to be a part of that. Um, and my coach Jeff at 13, who I you know I actually enjoyed a lot under him. I think he was a very. It's funny because you got coaches in pro, but you still relate to coaches that actually connect with their players and, yeah. and Jeff did that quite well and, and um, I always had that respect for Jeff as a coach that he connected with his players and seemed to be real and genuine. Um, yeah, so 13 and 14s at Wolves. Um, I had some good times there and you know you looked up to some of the Wolves players that were playing at the time that you looked to idolise and, and want to be and then you know a few years later you end up playing with some of them or against them so it's pretty cool. And in this period here um, there was a, a period sort of late 14 or around mm. 15 that you then had a trial at Ipswich Town yep. um, which has a, a lot of pedigree in the UK mm. in terms of what they did I guess more so in the 80s mm. um, how did that come about and you must have been excited yeah so at 15 um, I've, I've really made the state teams now and and there was a ranking system back there where I suggested that I was ranked for my own age top two top three in the country yep um, which is a pretty cool feeling. So through this Big Brother scholarship, um, I went on a month trial at Ipswich, not expecting anything. And it, this pretty much is who I am today based on this moment, um, which is pretty interesting. Uh, so I went over there on trial. Two days into the trials, literally, that put me with their 17s. I was too good for their 15-year-olds. Yep. Maybe 10 days into it, then they put me with their 19-year-olds. So here I'm a 15-year-old boy trialling with 19-year-olds. So my confidence is sky high. And at the time, Ipswich first grade, Prem, they'll finish third in the Premier League that year. Yep. So they were flying Premier League club. Um, and at the end of the month, they gave me a four-year deal. And all I needed was my mum's visa, who's Greek, to enter the UK, which is pretty simple because Serbia's not part of it. So my dream come true. I've got this Premier League youth contract that, you know, I feel invincible. So I come home, I'm super excited. And I'm like, mum, when can I get the visa? Because I want to go to UK. Yep. And she goes, look, sit down, I have to tell you something. So that feeling you got, you're like, okay, well, what's wrong? Um, I still remember like it was yesterday in the kitchen. I'm facing this way with the shadow over the kitchen light looking in. My dad's on that side. And my mum's nervous. And she's like, I'm not your real mother. So she's your real mother Serbian. So in that moment, I've just found out that my contract's gone because my mum's not Greek and Serbia's not part of the EU. But also I just lost my identity as a young boy. So... From the highs of the highs, I just went to the lowest of lows. And now, being the confident kid that I always was, I never showed emotion. I was like, no, nah, it's fine. I still love you, my mom, no problem. Yeah. Fast track, in space of a year or two, what happened then was um, I got expelled from school, in high school, because I just lost my way. Had a pro contract in old NSL Parramatta Power, which I took. Problem is now, I'm a 15, 16-year-old boy living in Parramatta, walking the streets, lost every night. Started hanging around... I would say gangs, I won't go into detail what, but the dark side of the world. 17 years old, um, I got offered to go to final for three years with Brad Holman and, and another player. I said no to go to a nightclub in here. Then played NSL for Sydney Olympic, and then um, NSL folded, there was a year gap, went to the UK. But in that space of 15, from that moment of being found out to the age of 18, 19, was a four-year timeline where I probably would say it was the only time not only time but where I needed help yep. so before 15 it was almost like 
not that I was invincible, but I was very confident. I didn't have a rock bottom moment. Football seemed to fly from yeah. young age. So that was a pivotal time where I needed someone to pull me aside and wake me up because I've just, you know, turned away football most of the times I've lost. Yeah, you're a young boy. You know, was my attitude right or wrong in that moment? Did I want it enough? This, this back then, I mean, who knows? I could have gone to Ipswich on that four-year deal and broken my leg one yeah. weekend. So it's not about poor me because I've dealt with it, but that played a big depression part in my career. And I guess uh, forgetting football, it's like you said, it's mm. about identity and it's about, I guess, in those <coughs> years, I guess we can analyse it from a football perspective, but from a life perspective, you're a teenager, let alone those identity sort of mm. issues cropping up. It, how do you reflect on it now, thinking, geez, that's a lot, even me as a 43-year-old man, I'm thinking that is a lot for a young, young, young man, pretty mm. much still a boy in a sense, yep. to, to really, I guess, ingest and go, well, what's going on here? Mm. Yeah, look, it, it's... Look, everyone has stories in life and, you know, my story is sadder than the other because everyone has got moments in life. So I'm comfortable talking about it because it took me 15 years to deal with, with psychologists and everything. So I'm comfortable sharing it because it's inspiring in a sense of we can all come from something, nothing and and grow. And that's why I do mindset training is because it's something that I never had. Um, But yeah, look, at any age, it's always... Any bad news is bad news. It's just how quickly can you deal with it and use it to your advantage. So that's, um, it worked here and there across the years with me. Obviously, I lost my way. I'm thankful, and it's true, I didn't touch, touch, touch a drug when I started hanging around these people. Yeah. I was exposed to a lot. It's just never been, even alcohol, I don't really necessarily like the taste. Um, I'm a sweet too, so I think that could have maybe helped me because there's yeah. a lot of people that are close to me through those ages where I saw go to jail, um, some have lost their lives without detailing. So I guess I was lucky that I, I could escape enough and then still go on and resurrect a career. And still, from what you were saying, that sort of 15 to 19 year old age bracket there, you were still playing football. Hmm. So I guess part of you still had a passion, even though there was a lot going on mentally hmm. and, and in your heart. Yeah. So that passion was still pretty deep then. Oh, the passion was always there. I mean, it was funny, it was this time at Parramatta Power where they wanted to make my debut younger than 16. And there was a moment where something went wrong. Again, these people that I was hanging around got me in trouble because I tried to do the right thing through my heart and help someone, and it yep. backfired. And I remember having a meeting with the coach and the chairman saying, look, we want to start you first, but we can't because you keep mucking up. So it, it's not their fault, nor is it my fault, but see the way I am today, like, then ask, why did I do it? Explain to these young, what's your reasons? Why are you angry? Why do you, like, get to know the person to find out how can we help this young boy? So that's where I think it's important in football to really get to connect with players because you don't know what they're thinking or acting. And I don't think any kid has a bad attitude, it's just they don't know how to explain themselves from young. Yeah, well, personalities are so varied and, mm. and I guess, like you said, you've uh, examined and analysed and really got in touch with yourself in the last 15 years or 15 years after that point. Mm. So it does, it's not instant and, and it, talking is the key, isn't it? hundred percent, and especially for men, like we bottle up and think, "No, we're cool. We've got no problems." Yeah, definitely. So, Parramatta Power um, mm. at the time, uh, sort of high flyers in the NSL in terms of their approach. Yep. Um, what do you recall of of that experience in terms of coaches and and players, and and was AAS 
before this? Or yeah, so Institute New South Wales was um, the time when I was at. Four, so Wolves was four teens, and yeah. then from 14s I went into Institute. Okay. So the Institute at AIS was pretty much on par. Um, AIS, you live there, and Swiss, we trained four days in Park Lee, which from Wollongong we had to travel. Um, so it was like the best of the best at the time. So the Institute was very, very good, I have to admit. I learned a lot there, um, and I learned how to play against older boys as well, which is important. Yes, in UK, I did that too. Um, and then from N-Swiss, um, I remember it was Northern Spirit, Marconi, Parramatta Power, and another club. But they were the three full-timers, yep. and I was offering scholarships to us young 15, 16-year-old boys. And, and the money was, I mean, geez, my first contract was 17000 at 15 years of age, where A-League boys now, who are 19, get five grand, which doesn't even make sense. Um, so the setup was... Very professional in that sense because um, they had the league club, Parramatta Power. You know, rent was free. We lived with people. So, so from their approach, was very good off the field. Um, and the reason why I signed to Parramatta Power, without mentioning the name, their selling point was one soccer route, who was meant to mentor and guide us youngsters. And for the first year and a half, that first grader never said one word to any of us. And it was like a lie. And I remember that moment when I become a senior first grader, I'll, I will always make sure every young kid's welcome and felt a part of the squad because it's, it's a typical cliche thing, you know, a youngster's got to come and prove themselves to the first grader. It shouldn't be that. It should be everyone should be on par. Welcome everyone. Yeah, you've got to earn your keep on the field, but in terms of self-validating, like it's intimidating in that sense. And, and then you don't get the true person to come out their, their own personality because they're, they're fearful of X, Y, and Z. Um, but in terms of the setup, and, and Dave Mitchell there was great. Like, you know, he gave me He started me, he gave me option, which was awesome. Um, and he actually gave me option to get a final. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, then Nick Theodorakopoulos came in. Okay, yes, I was still in my ups and downs. Um, that wasn't a great year with him there, um, for whatever reason. It's, um, it is what it is. And then... We, uh, then I went to Sydney Olympic for the final NSL season um, and played there for one season as um, a right winger. So it was, so yes, from the old NSL days, I, I actually still like the NSL. I still think from a talent point, we probably had better talent than we do today. Far greater talent. And like, uh, you know, in terms of your professional life, you've mm. seen quite a lot and even post-professional life. Can you put a sort of, it's a complex question, I mm. guess, but... Is there different themes that why talent was better identified back then to, to now? Um, I, it's, it's a trick one because then you think, is it a generational thing or is it down to... Because, look, politics has always been around. Even when I was playing, I mean, I remember at the Wolves 13s, it was President's son would play because, you know, and, he, and it wasn't good enough. But, so that's never going to escape the world. But is it worse today or is it the curriculum? Like, I mean, this SAP program that they've set up, is it good or is it, is it a money-making thing to have 20 players and play back-to-back fields? I don't know because we want full field at 10. I understand from a technical point, small-sided games, yes, then there's technical, technical strength in full field. I think the expression of allowing people to express themselves more with, with skills was probably more profound back then. Um, I know people talk about this, you know, the ethnics of the old NSL and the A-Leagues cancelled that and whatnot. That's, that's you know, it's a million-dollar million question, but... I can only personally say that I saw more players with raw talent um, going at players. Where today it's, yes, I, I mean, I'm a physical player. I'm more about strength and everything. But we don't have players that are ball players. 
Um, now, problem is back then, a lot of these ball players didn't have guidance, didn't have right people around them, and turned to drugs, whatever, like, and everything like that. And then they got lost to the world. Where today there seems to be a slightly better structure in the system for players. To end up uh, after Sydney Olympic, uh, the NSL's folding. Um, was it always your objective, once you saw that come around, that you would then try your luck overseas? I guess try your luck's not a, I guess when you've got ambition and objectives and goals, they're mm. not, it's not luck, it's hard work. So were you contemplating overseas at that point? Yeah, um, I have to admit though, I think at that time, again, guidance is important and I think my father didn't play a good role in a sense of education when it came to that final year because there was a year gap. I already had a contract to Sydney FC lined up for the following year because you okay. needed four young players. And so I was already guaranteed a spot in a new A-League, well, technically, um, me and three other players who I knew the names were, and they actually did sign. Um, but he said, if you don't go overseas now, you're never going to go. So there was a fear factor. Like four years, okay. So I had Ipswich down at 15, Mum found out, fine, 17, I said no to go clubbing. So now it's your third time round. If you don't go now, it's kaboom. So I went on trial to um, League One, League Two team, Northampton Town. And I remember 20, about 20 odd minutes into my trial, I literally ran through the team and set up a goal. And at half time, they said, we're going to give you a two year deal. And I was so excited. Like, I actually went with like, insecurity, thinking, wow, someone actually wants me. Yeah. So I didn't even hesitate and I just said yes. Problem was, um, what you normally do in those moments, you say, all right, give me a week to think about it, we need to assess and all of this. And in that week, I had another trial set up at a higher division overseas. I could have failed. Who knows? Point is, give yourself option to work your way back. No problem, signed it, got the visa. Um, so how did, sorry to interrupt, but how, hmm. did, how did you get to Northampton Town in the first place in terms of them wanting to do the uh, trial with them? So there was a guy in Sydney... Dushan Burashi was a Serbian guy who I trained with who connected with some Asian in, in the UK who then found a trial. Um, and I always said, why don't you call Ipswich Town? I've been up, but all the coaches have moved on and everything. And it was like four years later and I'm just become a number then. Um, and, but yeah, so I did, signed it. Um, then played three seasons at League Two, League One with Northampton, about 115 games was pretty cool, surreal um, experience. Then had a career-threatening injury at 23, where I, at the moment, gave up football. And I returned home. So then I entered my next dark time in life at 23, where all you knew was football, football, football. And when you're told that, you know, why don't you just give it up and come home, it's very hard to swallow. Before we talk about that sort of mm. second dark period, at Sixfield Stadium, uh, league two, then League One. Mm. You're part of a promotion season. Um, uh, give the listener here that uh, of the Illawarra, and there's a few around Australia as well. What's the typical week like of a, a pro down in those tiers of professional English football? Um, I have to admit, though, from being there three seasons, I still believe more so League One is a better standard than A League. Okay. And the reason why I say that is one consistently professionally through 24 teams um, one pay is probably better than A-League no that is true uh, I don't know about all clubs um, crowds obviously you've got history and passion you can go to like a team that you've never heard of and there's like 6,000 people that sound like 30,000 <laughs> and it's intimidating 
Um, then you got the most important part, which I noticed very quickly was you've got old Premier League players that are looking to retire, which come down. Then you've got the young youth Premier League players that get loaned out, that want to make it back to it. Then you've got the mixture of professionals that are trying to go higher. So you've got nothing but ultimate professionals that want to play and improve. Yes, can it be very ugly at times? 100%. Um, I still believe the top half of League One is like the championship. Bottom half of League One is like the top half of League Two and vice versa. Um, but yeah... Full-time training. Great thing about UK is too, because there's so many games. You can go like Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, and you got quick turnarounds. Um, but that's where I learned to be fit as well, because in the first season I burnt out halfway through because I couldn't keep up with the amount of games. Um, but yeah, FA Cups, um, relegation, promotion. I mean, we was always in a promotion battle, but it's a cool feeling knowing that there's opportunity for growth. And what about, um, like you said, you burn out in that first season. What's the program like? Does the club give you a program in the off-season and then you have to be diligent and disciplined to follow that out? Or did you add stuff to yourself knowing that, OK, I've just done a season here, I want to improve on what I did last season? Yeah, a bit of both. Um, obviously, I was under their guidance, um, being 2021 at the time. Uh, so, yeah, so it was kind of talked about through that's going to happen, which makes sense um, because you're not used to doing so many games. And then... Obviously, I adapted my diet as well because I realised, okay, it's not so much just a holiday here. You got yeah. this is next level because I don't want to be on the bench. Um, and and I remember I started so strong. I think I scored the opening goal in this, of the second season. We won one 0 So I was there to make a statement. I think I scored six goals that year. Set up about thirteen goals from almost like a fullback position. Um, and it was a cool feeling to get promoted and. Yeah, it was, it was an enjoyable time and, you know, I was, had good coaches, had some good ex-pros around me. So you, you learn a lot um, and obviously I've made so many f dumb errors and played bad at times and, and I learnt a lot though. And what is that feedback loop like from fellow professionals, uh, players that you're with and, and, and what about the manager as well? How does that work in sort of day-to-day -day or after a game or whatnot? Every coach is different. Um, I still, I still found it so weird at first calling someone gaffer. He's like, <laughs> like Colin. He's like, no, gaffer. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's just a weird thing. But then you, it just becomes normal. It just rolls off the tongue. So um, the first coach, Colin Caldwell, who was an ex-Tottenham international, international Scottish player defender, um, he had a different approach to style of coaching, which was you know, obviously great at times. Um, but the one that I really enjoyed was John Gorman, who was the second coach who was... Uh, second with Glenn Holder and Nikkei he was probably I still to this day is probably one of my favourite coaches of all time and it had nothing really to do with his if you take out his tactics his man management yeah. the fact that he looked at you like with nothing but honesty and I remember one day he pulled me aside and goes Pedge look I'm, I'm going to drop you this week and I said it's okay he looks like it's fine because you actually you've been real about it so I get it I need to work on blah 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 so I had no problem with it because and and so unfortunately, he's, um, he, his wife passed away the Christmas before. So when it came to Christmas time that season, he resigned because he just... And it was because I actually... Re, we, we all blossomed under him. And then when it changed over, things just, yeah, went the other way. But um, he was very, very good in that sense. And what about the fans? Because, like you said, uh, even early on, you're an attacking, attacking fullback. Mm. So um, the fans at Sixfield Stadium must have, must have really loved you from the get-go. Yeah, I, I think what one thing I quickly learned about the UK, well, I mean, 
football over there that's what I can compare to was if you suggest to look like you're working hard they will respect you no matter what and I think and what English people look at Aussies is that we're hard workers so that and I think being an Aussie too kind of gave that impression so yeah my first year I got young player of the year fans player of the year and sometimes that first impression lasts so I was always um I was always you know I mean obviously times I was booed don't get me wrong but they were always liking to me and I always was nice to them and, and I learned very quickly I still remember one game I got subbed from the coach and the crowd booed the coach for taking me off and he turned he goes I'm not doing that ever again And but it was interesting because it was, a, it was an interesting timeline because I think okay but I'm not here to play for the fans I'm here to play for the coach because he makes the decision so after my UK stint when I came home I realised like it's about the coach not, not that it's about not living in fantasy but the point is you want to be yeah, you want to be liked and enjoyed when you play. Not that opinions so-called matter, but yeah, that was an interesting time. Um, but again, I think being an Aussie kind of had a helping hand, so it's not because it's just you. So it's a combination. And like you said, over 115 games, uh, a huge amount of assists and, and some goals as well. Is there any sort of games that stick out to you over there that sort of you'd vividly remember even now? Oh, there's a lot that I remember. Like it was if it was yesterday, so... Um, not the ones where, even ones where I played bad and still vividly remember like it was yesterday. Um, and they're good experience chats that I have with young players and telling them how, like, you can get it so wrong at times, thinking you're leading with the right energies. You know, promotion day is obviously awesome, making your debut is another thing. Yeah, my debut was actually quite interesting because um, it was in Wales against Cardiff. And old Cardiff Stadium was, was like this old around houses there was literally like this little stand and I remember when up on the sideline there was literally two metres a metre from the stand to the grass and being in Wales I have no idea and these fans behind me were just hammering me like to the next <laughs> level but they were hammering me from a Welsh to an Englishman okay. so I turned and said guys I don't know what you're talking about I'm from Australia and they just looked at each other and they didn't know what to say and they just said F you kind of thing so it was actually funny <laughs> um, and I made a debut there and then um yeah, making your home debut was cool. That was a nice feeling um, in front of your home crowd because it's weird. You you can control the ball so simply, and a crowd will clap, and you're like, "Really? That's different back home." Um, <laughs> yeah, like scoring some winners. Um, FA Cup tie. You always want that Man United team. Yep. Um, never happened. It happened the year before I got there, and it happened the year after I left. So I was like, "Come on!" But yeah, some cool some cool memories. Um, nice people in the club and players as well uh, and yeah so they're, they're always fond memories I did an interview with them about two months ago um, and they said like from their point like I'm, see, I'm still recognised as being like a nice re- player that they remember so that's a cool feeling like so many years later um, and they said when you return we'll give you a, a shirt and everything when you come to the stadium so it's, that's cool it's nice um, so yeah I mean I don't have any Regrets going there at all. Back to that sort of second dark period in your footballing mm. life. Uh, it was an injury, a serious injury. Mm-hmm. How difficult was it as a as a very young man to sort of contemplate or have that sort of decision-making process of, should I come home? Um, I'm going very well here. Mm. How did you sort of make that decision? It must have been extremely difficult. Yeah, it wasn't really... It, was, it wasn't my decision to make in the first part it was funnily enough it was my ex well my partner at the time who's my ex now she um said 
you know, you, if you can't play football, then what would you do? And, you know, there's a guy like, you know, F you, this, you, know, you don't know anything, football's my yeah. life, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, nah, I'm still going to, you know, I'll stay here and do whatever. But it was a double hernia injury that went wrong and it just rehab was all wrong and I still had pains. And she said, like, why don't you get into the fitness world? You always seem to be in the gym since you were young. So since I was very young, I was always in the gym with people. And I said, no, like, I've got no idea about the gym world. So I remember I was in Bournemouth at the time because I was very close to the media manager at yep. Northampton who got a job at Bournemouth FC, um, still to this day. So I was staying at his house because I was, you know, looking to pack home or whatever, and I was sitting on the lounge, and I said, you know what, I'm going to do this online fitness test. If I pass, I'll come home, hoping to fail the test. And I passed the test. And I was like, wow, remember, this is a guy who's got expelled from school, didn't do really anything. So from an educational point, I wasn't one to be for that. So when I passed this test with these questions, I was like, shit, maybe I do know something. So came home, was very hard, got into a fitness course, became a PT, and then started my um, business in the city. And uh, there was a period of time there where you were, I guess, rehabilitating yourself. Did you still, and now you've found this new vocation in life and, mm. and you're doing very well at it, were you still considering that you might return to, to football in Australia? Um, for the first six to seven months, no. Like, yep. football was done. Yep. Um, I was like, nah, it's not, no point. And I became a trainer. And I, I, that's, when I, that's when I learned at 23, 24, and I became a trainer, dedication, sacrifice, and hard work. Before that, football seemed easy from a young age, 15, 16, 17. Um, like, I didn't understand the work ethic. And then when I became a trainer, I remember I was getting up 3 a.m. to get to the city by 5 a.m. because I was living with my ex-in-laws. Um, return home 11 o'clock at night, get back up 3, and I did it every day, and I built a business very quickly based on just work ethic, not talent. I mean, I'm, I might have been good at whatever, but I didn't stop. And, stop. and then I saw the rewards, and I was like, wow. Um, and I remember I was broke. Within nine months, I bought my first place just from working hard. And for some reason, my injury then became a lot easier because I saw a physio who then knew how to help and taught me about core strengthening, which seemed to be a big part of my rehab. And then a friend of mine who was playing NPL one at Sutherland said, oh, do you want to come down for a kick? Oh, okay, fine, whatever. I didn't think much of it. Yeah. Went down for a kick and didn't seem to have lost much and then found this passion and love, played NPL one with Southern Sharks. We were almost, I think we won the league, lost the final. And it was an, an amazing year with a great bunch of lads and some, you know, some cool ex-NSL boys, George Sirius to name one, who I still think is, could have been an A-League legend. Um, then Mariners came knocking that season. Um, and the only reason why I signed for the Mariners was if I could keep my PT business. Because okay. in the A-League contract setup, you're not meant to have physical income, you're in a professional setup. So I was the first player, I think, in, in the league, well, definitely in those clubs, to get written consent to continue my, my business. Because why? It's taught me how to become a real man and that dedication. So I didn't want to let go of that. So I was prepared to not go back into the pro world if I wasn't allowed to. Um, Mariners said yes, and then I had you know, five great years at the Mariners and then onwards. Before we talk a bit about the Mariners, you must be proud even in reflection, or you probably were and should be at that point in time, but the, profession, the, the sort of personal growth that you must have had to make a big decision to come back from England, mm. then to rehabilitate yourself, and then to go into sort of an industry you had no idea mm. about seven months earlier, and, yep. then, and then 
the chance of pro football again and you're willing to give it up, you must be proud of that internal growth in yourself, even in that short space of time. Yeah, I think resilience is something that I've somehow happened to have from a young age. I don't know why, but um, I remember going into the PT world, in the city especially, because I'm dealing with corporates, which I don't talk to. And I thought it was this big bag city of like, you know, high and educated people that look down and speak, which they can, that's everyone in the world. But I just went straight through the juggler and said, no, nah, this is my town, man. I'm owning it. Like I'm 24, but I'm going to be the most experienced trainer that does no experience. And I had no fear in that sense. I was always aware of what I needed to work on. Don't get me wrong. But my ex-father-in-law, um, who's actually passed away now, bless his soul, was like a real father role. And I learned so much as a young adult how to communicate how to, to, to act, to talk and deal with situations and I learned a lot from him through my own growth so I'm very thankful of that and um, yeah I mean look I still make mistakes to this day but I'm not afraid of mistakes whereas when you're young you f- you're in a fear of failure this and that no I know what I'm I know what I'm bad at I know what I'm good at and I'm okay with that. So the Mariners um, uh, what do you remember of that time there because it was a very successful period for themselves as a club and and you really established yourself as you know one of their their core players and mm. and were a big part of that success so how do you reflect on it in terms of the coaches you had the players yeah i think look mariners mariners will be always a place in my heart based on you know winning and and succeeding because when you win and succeed you naturally love where you are um Northampton was, you know, an experience where I lived in a town and I felt the love from it. So I never lived in the Central Coast. I lived in a city, travelled every day. Um, Sydney FC is another example and whatnot. So from the Mariners' point, there's always going to be great memories. Um, and I was thankful enough to have, you know, a good enough structured environment where we, we you know, dominated the league for a good solid three years, us and um, Brisbane at the time with Ange. So it's always good when you're in that, you know, top end of, the, of, of football. And yourself, um, you've sort of seen, I guess, uh, both worlds, uh, the NSL world mm. and, and the A-League world. So um, uh, it must have been, I guess, a, a view of, you, of yourself that, OK, I've made it there, but then I've come back from serious injury and I've, I've made it in this new version of the, uh, the National League in the A-League, so you must have been proud from a, from a playing perspective as well, bringing back what you'd learned in the UK as well. Yeah, um, it was pretty cool, because I remember when um, I was in the UK, and then I didn't really look much on the A-League at times, um, more so when we made the World Cup. That's when I saw how big football became in Australia with being in the World Cup after so many years. And at the time, Perth did, when I was in the UK, Perth did come knocking, um, asking for a contract. And I wasn't too, not too excited to come at that stage. And then, um, but I always remember looking at the stadiums and Blue Tongue was the one I wanted to play at. It's crazy because the palm trees, that's what it was. <laughs> it was the palm trees that got me. And, you know, if you want to call it wishful thinking and, and, you know, looking for goals in the future, you could say I did that, maybe not, maybe I didn't. But, yeah, Blue Tongue Stadium and... Um, it was pretty cool coming back to A-League. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't come into A-League thinking I'm in a UK vet, like, you know, over 100-game pro player. I never believe that I'm coming into something with... I've, I always come into the tension, I've got to prove myself. Same as when I'm playing now in the Wollongong League. I've got to prove myself, regardless of my, whatever I've done, because, you know, that's the past. It's all about the present, what you're going to offer now. 
And uh, apologies that I, I forgot to mention, but there was a period there um, where you represented your country. Mm. Um, apologies for, for not bringing that up earlier. No, okay. I, I get excited in these interviews, so, <laughs> and so get engrossed. <laughs> Talk a bit about that experience, because that must be a, a proud moment, because I'm assuming that's during that difficult period as well. Yeah, interesting one, because not many people know, so I haven't really mentioned it, but so in the initial stages of that national setup, I was like captain of, this, of the country. It was almost like, again, that, that reputation of being top two, top three. I was part of the captain setup and everything, and then um, Shine Flag retires, Ange Postacogli comes in, and I almost get kicked out of the squad. It's crazy. And and I don't actually... I've got so much respect for Angel Postagogu. So it was nothing personal. If he didn't rate me or didn't, or maybe my attitude wasn't right. Whatever reason, his point is, you almost go from like invincible like captain to almost out of the squad. And you think, what the hell? But then I end up being right back in, in, in the World Cup um, with Australia. So yeah, it's a pretty cool feeling. I was in Trinidad Tobago. Um, we played against... I think we played against Brazil first. We lost 1-0. Yeah. Um, then we played Croatia. We beat them 4-0. We beat Trinidad 1-0. Yeah, yeah and um, we got into the quarterfinals. So, yeah, but there was big crowds. It was, um, it was pretty theatrical. It was awesome time. And, um, you know, from that squad, I think it was me, Carl Valerio, Brett Holman that went on to pros and me. Oh, Esparza did a little bit. So four of that national team went on to being pros. Oh, Alex Wilkinson, sorry. And, and what about uh, Les uh, as a man and uh, in this setup? Uh, how did you find him? Not approachable one bit. Um, apparently, you used to call it, you had to call him boss. Okay. Very old. Look, I love the old school th- methods. I mean, I, the other night I watched the movie Remember the Titans with Denzel Washington. Yeah. Um, very powerful movie. You can see where old school methods work, but you need a touch of, of, of you know, a different approach. You need a combination. Nothing's perfect. But yeah, he was very... Um, but because he liked me, so I didn't care. When you're liked, you, you just you go with whatever that is. Um, but when you, yeah, he, he can have it. I remember he, he could really intimidate young players if he didn't like you and you called me boss. I remember that. So apparently there's a story where someone, not my one, the Joey's before, he goes, um, you have to call me boss. He goes, nah, there's only one boss. And he goes, that's Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he was allowed back in. So, yeah. And, and what about Ange? Like you said, uh, you had to work your way, um, like you said, from captain to sort of staying in the squad. Mm. So um, obviously uh, they're sort of two different types of coaches slash managers. So how did you find him? Um, Ange was more reserved. Um, he didn't... I Actually, because I always liked Ange when he was at South Melbourne too. So I always I followed South Melbourne to an audience and I always liked him as a coach. I, it was more probably the assistant too, like Steve O'Connor was from the AIS and... It was almost like that AIS style came in and it just maybe just didn't work for whatever reason. It is, fun, it is what it is. So, yeah, it was, it was an mixed emotion from that side of things, from a connection where, you know, some players blossom with this one, some don't. So it's an experience that you take and you move forward with. But Ange, I've always... Because um, I remember when, after that, Ange pulled me aside and he goes, look for the 20s. I'm only going to pick players that play NSL. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I've been told I'm going to be playing first grade every week through Nick Theodore Coppola's. Didn't play one game. So that, and, and he stuck to his word, and he, he picked players that played first grade. So I respect him. But from, a, I guess, a personal point of view, even now, representing your country, um, you know, putting on 
on the the national emblem and, and crest, it must be a proud moment that you you look back upon and go, wow, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, it's always a great memory to have, and you know that I still have the shirts um, at my mum's home. So you know, there's always you know it's a good story to always say. Um, you know, those moments of a soccer call up which kind of just got pulled away in some in 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 some way with maybe not going into detail why, but otherwise in it, yeah, it's still a great achievement. Yeah, then um, uh, before we go to Sydney FC, um, Laurie McKenna and Graham Arnold, um, mm-hmm. what do you remember of those guys? Um, I mean, I remember Laurie at Parramatta Power as an assistant coach. Um, look, Laurie's a very bubbly, jokeable kind of guy. He likes to have fun and banter. Um, I mean, under him was, it was okay. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I learnt a lot of footballing style. I think it was inconsistent for the year or so. Still great. Um, and I'm thankful that he gave me an opportunity, gave me a contract, so I'm ever grateful for that. Um, but I guess coming from the UK before, I learnt so much through these other coaches. Then Graham came in. Um, you know, I, I knew I was always a centre back, and I and I knew that I wasn't going to play. And I there was an opportunity for a right back, so I took it with both hands and just knew if I stuck it and and played well, I could make this my position, and I did. Um, and look, from a personal point, me and Graham will, Graham have different um, interests, but from a from an on the field point of view, I played some of my best football under him. Um, and I think through Arnie's learnings of Gus Hiddink, I think he's adapted his game quite well, and I think in the A-League it showed how important structures and tactics are. And him and Ange proved the A-League to be the two probably better coaches that we've had. And then you, you moved to uh, Sydney FC. Uh, why did that move happen? Yeah, so a lot of people don't know why I moved to Sydney. So after the grand final win with the Mariners, five years in mentally drained you've just accomplished everything you've won the league you've won a grand final you know you've been consistently one of the better right backs so they say you've got your own business that you're working with yeah so traveling every day for five years it's almost like and i remember saying this to to arnie after the final like it's done we've we've done it and so i had another year left but i was mentally just drained and negotiations happened without getting into too much detail why what happened and that because we'll be here for too long um (laughs) We finally agreed, and I didn't go to Sydney for more money or anything like that that people suggested. I went for the same amount of money. It wasn't about, it was about being back in the city. And Sydney FC was always a club that I related to because I lived in the harbour. I understood the city mentality of, of that. And it's funny, it's probably one club that I really like, really wanted to wear the jersey for, and it was probably my worst time in my career through injuries, and then when Arnie came, and just, yeah. It was a nightmare. You then, um, you've had a, a couple of other sort of uh, stints at playing. You, you went to Sydney Hekoa in 2019 and mm. now you, you're back with the Albion Park White Eagles uh, this year in 2021. Um, those, after retiring and, and focusing mm. on your business interests, uh, why did you come back with Sydney Hekoa and, and now with Albion Park? Yeah, so... I didn't officially retire. Um, I never announced it. I mean, I kind of said I did with, to myself. But at 31, I, was, I, was, I wasn't injured when I left Sydney, so I was fully fit. It was a decision between politics with Graham Arnold and my decision because, one, luckily enough, I did have a business to fall back on yeah. from 23 setting it up. So great lesson to players that don't know how to set themselves up after football and then they just chase 
cash contracts. So NPL clubs at the time were throwing some stupid money my way. Not because it's me, it's just because you're an ex-pro. And I didn't want to take it because I didn't want to play at that stage. So half decision, half politics, and I walked away from the game. Um, And then within a year or so, um, so football ended, which is hard to deal with again. 13-year relationship ended, which is hard. My dad died. I almost died. And I met my real mum for the first time. Since so, wow. in a space of a year and a half, I didn't realize how many emotions crept up on me as a 32, 33 year old boy. Um, and yeah, and then at the end of that, my um, ex mother and father, who were very, very close to me, passed away as well. So, their deaths inspired me to come back to football. Be crazy, right? How someone yeah. who can die kind of reminded me of how lucky I'm and fortunate to have these things and what I've learned from them to, to come back into football. and I remember one night I was running in a park up in Sydney where I live and the smell of fresh grass of a night kickoff came back and I was like, this is weird. Like, I think I want to play again. So I slept on it. Then I made a decision, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then, long story short, um, trained with Hakal for half the season and signed halfway through. And and reason why Hakal too is I live in the city. I had no license at the time, so travel was very limited. I was catching buses too. <laughs> it's funny. See, you got to know how to put your ego aside and be like, you know what, you're an ex-pro, big deal. I caught two buses to train to train Hakawa. Um, and yeah, it was good. Played and enjoyed it. Um, and it was great to have an opportunity to play Hakawa. And uh, Albion Park, you, you want to have a crack at, at the IPL and, and, and see what, what can happen there? Yeah, so this is, this is probably the longest negotiation contract I've ever had in my life. This has probably been 50, to 16 years um, that we've had a conversation and it's just timing, call it what you want, obviously, you know, trying to progress a career. Um, so, yeah, so had the conversation and, and now it's done and really excited to to be part of, you know, and this is a bit of a boyhood club too. Yes, I started at Real Love, but at the same time, I still remember age 9 or 10 going to the old White Eagles ground in Wollongong and walking past the change room smelling that deep heat smell which stunk, and then, you know, the food, and then seeing the colours out there, and so it was, I remember those memories, and I was like, okay, and then now I'm about to put on a shirt, which is pretty cool, so, but I've got a lot to prove, um, I'm not taking this easy, I'm training really hard myself, because I want to make sure that I can give the best service to myself, but also to the team, and, um, and deliver a good performance. And finally, um, on Play Essentials, your business, um, here in the Illawarra and in Sydney, it seems to me over the course of the last hour just talking to you that um, you can see that there's a passion. Obviously, you know, it's a job as well, but there's really a passion for you to, you know, whether it was Jeff in under-13s, managers Mm. at Northampton, you Mm. really look at sort of the person connecting. Mm. Is that what this is primarily about, that you can, I guess, right some of the wrongs that were in your career and, and, and sort of give back to, to football? Yeah, 100%. Um, look, Wollongong has always been in the back of my mind to do something because we've always had talented football since before my time. Yep. And we tend to turn to Sydney for these extras. So it was always in, it was always back of my mind and, and the timing seemed to be right. But the business itself is all... Look, the idea of Play Central is we want to produce professional footballers. And if we don't produce professional footballers... We want to produce better humans who then can go into life wherever it takes you. Now, that's through mindset workshops that we do. Um, I've got mindset programs starting up. A lot of my um, 
navigating around kids' strengths of even weaknesses with desires, uh, sorry, weaknesses in anxiety, stress, fears of failures, opinions, are very problematic. And if you don't deal with them from a young age, when you hit that 17, 18-year-old time zone, you will fail because you haven't dealt with it all over these years. So I'm very big on that. And connection is a huge part. Now, I'm not for everyone, nor should you ever be, um, but I just keep it real with every single kid and parent. And the quicker you can call yourself out on your own bullshit, the quicker you grow and learn. And that's all it's about. Um, and yeah, obviously you've got to have skill in town. What we do, strength and conditions, is another strength of mine, which is something that's lacking. Um, that's what we offer. And the warehouses just give you that extra professional setup where I want players to come in and go, wow, this is awesome. Not because of me, just because of the atmosphere. And I yeah. think atmosphere is important. And I, it's like when you walk, a young kid goes into a stadium, like, wow, look how cool this is. That's kind of what you want to give back. And I still remember that as a kid, even just walking into Brendan Park with the big change rooms versus a little dugout. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what it's about. And it's, you know, it's, so far it's you know, showed some great interest. We've got a lot of young, talented footballers through the SAPs and NPLs, also grassroots. Um, so it's great. Well, Pedge, I, I know you're a busy man and, and it's, I'm so appreciative and, and sincerely thank you for, for allowing me some time into your busy day and, and talking you know, just a fraction of your, your large career. And, and like I said, it's been wonderful. I really appreciate it. So thank you very much for being on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. Well, it is here where we finish episode 57. Once again, I'd like to sincerely thank Pedge for the time he spent conversing with me at his place of business. As always, thank you for listening and downloading this podcast. I am your host, Travis. Goodbye for now.